0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. I'm Mittens, and today we are going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 6, Yellow Fever. One of the few episodes that Kripke ever felt compelled to clarify a point on publicly. It was the first time he'd ever done it. It was written by Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin, and this is, yes, Andrew Dabb's first episode of Supernatural. And of course, we all know he becomes the showrunner in season 12 or partially through season 11, if you want to be really technical about it, and runs it through the end of the series. And it was directed by Phil Segrecia. And I'm going to take a moment to clarify what I meant by my comment before. From the Super Wiki, the quote reads, For the first time ever, Eric Kripke made a statement after the episode clarifying that Dean wasn't infected because he was a dick as Sam suggests during the episode, but rather that he was someone who used fear as a weapon, an important clue to the revelation in 410 Heaven and Hell about Dean's activities in hell. And I have the actual response from Eric Kripke in a post that I will share in the post for this podcast episode, so you can read it for yourselves. But even he clarifies that it's not even really about him using fear as a weapon it's about his silence on the matter with Sam to this point in the series Dean hasn't even acknowledged that he remembers anything that happened in hell let alone his shame and guilt over it all So I'm going to venture to go even further with the explainer on what Kripke meant, since we're not spoiling anything here by doing so, because everything in the entire series is up for grabs in this podcast. Post-episode, there were a lot of people who were upset over the apparent characterization of Dean as a dick, and Sam as some sort of totally innocent bab who can do no wrong. And we all know how fandom can be about this sort of stuff, especially when that stuff is patently untrue, even if it was at least in part implied in the episode but remember Dab and Laughlin knew what that twist would be in heaven and hell four episodes after this one when they were writing it they knew Dean that remembered his time in hell because it was important to his characterization this entire season to this point to help us the viewer understand what he was dealing with all along when that revelation finally hits and so much of season four is like that, only revealing the truth of the matter later on and then offering a massive recontextualization. And knowing all that through the power of hindsight, we can look at Kripke's original statement and understand that he was still trying to hold back a major spoiler. It wasn't just that Dean used fear as a weapon. We know what he did in hell. He was tortured for 30 years and then finally capitulated to the offer to save himself by torturing others. And he was apparently very good at it, as per Alistair, and even per Belphegor, way down the line in season 15. This is something that haunted Dean, something he felt massive amounts of guilt and shame for. Guilt and shame that these people in this episode felt over the death of Luther Garland all those years ago. He'd been completely innocent of the crime that they had pinned on him, and in their anger, they killed him without hesitation, then covered it up, hid all evidence of the fact that they literally tortured him to death. And in the episode, Dean is experiencing Luther's fear inflicted upon him. He can't scrub it away. And you know, that's part of the theme of the episode. is the guilty party trying to scrub the stain of their crime away. It's out damn spot, you know? Over the last few episodes, we've seen how Dean has been trying to forget all that horror, trying to search for the good in his own life by protecting Sam and saving people and hunting things and right up to his new from last week's episode, Mission from God, that's given him just the tiniest smidgen of faith in himself again. And it's all ripped away in this episode, exposing the raw nerve of his own fear, guilt and shame underneath. And the rest of season four will continue to poke at that raw nerve, making his whole mission from God into more of a curse than a gift. The horrendous label of righteous man isn't about how good he is. It's about the depths to which he sank, which he will blame himself for for years to come. It's stated in the prophecy that he, the righteous man, will break the first seal by failing all of humanity in that first stroke of the razor in hell. Not so righteous anymore, right? Why is it always the funny episodes that hurt us so badly? I've always said that season four is all about manipulation, and yes, yes it is. Sam is unwittingly being manipulated into believing that he is doing the right thing with Ruby. Sam doesn't feel any guilt over his actions with Ruby. That's why he's unaffected by this spell. He thinks he's still doing the right thing, and he would do it again, exactly as he did before. And Dean is being manipulated into believing that all of this was all his fault. And these are things that will drive the narrative for the rest of the series, because Dean isn't to blame for what he does in hell. It was exactly what the prophecy dictated he had to do. This was all foretold by Chuck's word. And this revelation will be what will drive Dean even harder into believing only in himself, only in his own free will and choices, and his ongoing battle to not be the star of Chuck's terrible story. He'll do what he has to do, worst phrase in the show, but he will not give in to the story. And when he does, it's the ultimate in tragedies. The end of the series is just such a profound disappointment in light of all of this, isn't it? Yes, penned by Andrew Dab. When this was his first episode, it's kind of like, Jesus, Dab. what the fuck happened? Anyway, moving on, because we have things to do and <laughs> don't want to derail this early in the episode. We do have some bonus things for this episode. We have casting sides for Luther, for Sheriff Britton, and for John Garland. We have the video of Dean's version of Eye of the Tiger, which happened spontaneously when Jared just stood there instead of walking into the scene on his cue, as we saw happen in the episode itself, because he just wanted to see what Jensen would do if they just let the song play. And this is entirely unscripted and delightful. You know, I think everybody's seen it at least a dozen times because it's one of those things that just goes around every once in a while. And yes, they do air the whole thing at the end of the episode anyway. But mentioning it here as a little bonus gives me a moment to talk about how and why that scene happened, as well as other mentions of Eye of the Tiger in the series. Sam had joked at the end of season three that Dean should have been jamming to Eye of the Tiger while delivering a motivating speech. And its use in this episode sort of gives context for that. This shows us a terrified Dean literally using the song to motivate himself to carry on through his own fear. And way down the line in 15.7, Last Call, someone who canonically knew Dean very well pre-series mentions this song specifically in context of Dean using it to motivate himself past his own fear. That time specifically in context of him performing live on stage, which we saw him do as a demon in ten one when he was unaffected by any sort of fear <laughs> as a demon, he wouldn't be experiencing fear or any other human emotion as Cass would helpfully clarify two episodes later. So we see the full spectrum of the significance of this song for Dean as a psych up to confront his own personal fear. And even Sam knew that about him. And finally, we have a cut scene which is more of an extended scene where Dean's alone in the motel room, really feeling the effects of ghost sickness ramping up. The clocks, including the starburst clock we see in the show after he smashes it on the floor when Sam comes back, are all ticking down to his death, and his vision as he looks at them as they tick shakes in rhythm with the seconds counting away his life. It explains why he smashes the clock, and highlights the paranoia overcoming him. The main difference we have to the bits of this that actually aired, of Dean hallucinating additional text in the book that he's researching in, is that a female voice is reading out those hallucinated taunts in the cut. But when they aired it, they took out that narration and just gave us Dean seeing and reacting to them on paper, which, honestly, was effective enough, so we didn't really lose anything in the cutscene except for the explanation of exactly why he smashed that clock. It was harassing him. And aside from a huge, great lot of posts on Tumblr I'll link to, I think we can safely move into the Then segment. I'll man the flashlight, which is about all I'm good for. <laughs> we begin the Then segment with a reminder of what happened at the end of Season 3 and Lilith... Who she is, why she's significant, Sam talking about how there's demon blood in him, and the scene from two weeks ago when Dean caught Sam exercising a demon with his mind, and Dean trying to come to grips with what this might mean for Sam, yet another fear he has, And all of this is intercut with scenes of Dean's dream from the season three finale where he's running through the woods from some invisible monster that has absolutely terrified him. Hellhound chasing him as he's coming very, very close to what he knows will be the end of his life. His time is up. We see the scene of Dean actually succumbing to the hellhounds at the end of the episode when he realizes it's no longer Ruby in her vessel. It's Lilith. And then post Dean's resurrection in four one and four two, meeting Cass. I pulled you out of hell. I can throw you back in. You should show me some respect. This is definitely something Dean legitimately fears. And on that note, we come to now. It opens with someone running for their lives. As we pan up, we see that it's Dean in his FBI suit full out running as hard as he can through some back alleys and he trips over a homeless person's shopping cart and dean warns the guy run it'll kill you the camera pans down and the homeless man looks down and is like what the hell it's a yorkie with a little pink bow in its hair and it's just making yorkie noises and dean starts running again and the yorkie takes off running after him Gone are the sound effects of this being some demonic hellhound that had overlaid the running scenes before we saw the Yorkie, but that kind of breaks our immersion in this as some real danger to Dean and signifies what's actually going on in this episode. That it's Dean's hallucinations and fears, not the reality of what he is experiencing here. And then we go to the title card. After the title card, we're given a chiron that lets us know that the events we are about to witness happened 43 hours earlier, a very specific amount of time, as the Impala drives into Rock Ridge, Colorado, which is a fictional town, but it is the fictional town from Blazing Saddles, also known as the movie that gave us The French Mistake. At the end of the film, when they break the fourth wall, literally, and pop into the next movie set over where they're filming a song and dance routine called The French Mistake. So long time viewers of Supernatural will definitely know what that means. The next shot we get is of Sam and Dean at the coroners where he's showing them the body of this guy who died three days earlier of a heart attack. He doesn't seem to understand why the FBI is in any way interested Sam mentions a couple of other bodies in another town nearby that all dropped dead of a heart attack within a few days of each other, and they just want to know why, make sure they're not all connected to something. The coroner at this point just does not care, and Sam and Dean press him to do an autopsy, which he sort of punishes them for making him do by involving them directly. While the coroner is cutting up the body, Dean notices a mark on his finger from what Dean assumes must have been a wedding ring. And he's like, I didn't think Frank was married. And then Sam points out all the other abrasions and stuff on his hands and arms. The coroner's only explanation is that when a body drops dead, it tends to drop. So it probably just happened when he hit the ground which is a really poor explanation for what looks like multiple abrasions that could not have just happened from falling on the front and back of his arms all at the same time. It just does not make sense. The coroner doesn't find any blockages in any of the guy's arteries, and he says the heart looks really healthy, which would preclude it having been a heart attack that killed him. But he hands the heart to Dean to hold. Dean's like, oh, God, why me? And Sam finds this amusing a moment later, though, as Dean's holding this heart in his gloved hands, not even making direct contact with it. Sam gets a direct hit in the face with what the coroner describes as spleen juice, like fountained in the face with it. And in that moment, Dean feels like he kind of got off light because at least he didn't get some in his eyes and mouth and stuff like gross. He's just holding the heart. He can handle that. Dean and heart symbolism is a long-standing issue on this show going way back to season one in Faith, where his heart was going to wear out and die within a month after he was electrocuted and the whole episode revolved around him receiving the life force and the healthy new heart of a dead gay school teacher. Yeah. Okay. Just reminding everybody that the heart symbolism with Dean goes way, way back Next, we cut to the sheriff's office where Sam and Dean are sitting, waiting to speak with the sheriff. The deputy smiles over at Dean and Dean kind of gives an awkward smile back. And finally, the sheriff comes out, spots Sam and Dean waiting there. He's like, who are these guys? The deputy has to tell him. They're the feds here about. And the guy's like, well, why didn't you send them back? Come on, guys. And the deputy is trying to say something to the effect of you told me not to disturb you, blah, blah, blah and he gets cut off completely by the sheriff. The deputy had only been following the instructions he was given, but it also lets us know that this sheriff has some pretty weird rules, which we're about to see again when he demands that Sam and Dean remove their shoes before stepping into his office. We are immediately aware that this guy is a little bit on the germ freak side of things. He's got a massive bottle of Purell on his desk, And he just starts slathering it all over his hands. Sam explains why they're there. And the sheriff is like, yes, he was a friend of mine. And when he says, ah, we were both Gamecocks, Dean kind of chuckles at that because who wouldn't? The guy shuts that down immediately. He's like, that's our softball team's name. They're majestic animals. Okay, sir. You lost your sense of humor entirely if you ever had one. The sheriff here only worked up the strength to go see his friend in the morgue that morning. That's when he was exposed to the ghost sickness, as we will learn later in the episode. So he's just a few hours ahead of Dean in this process. The sheriff describes his friend as a great guy. And Dean's like, yeah, big heart, because he was holding it in his hand a little while ago. And he thinks that's hilarious. And he turns to Sam, Hey, are you going to recognize the little joke I just made here? Sam doesn't notice the joke. He just carries right on asking his FBI questions. He asks if he noticed if Frank was acting strange or anything before his death. And the sheriff is like, yeah, he was real jumpy, wouldn't answer his phone. And it was because he finally sent some of his deputies over to check on him that they found him dead. The sheriff coughs and then immediately reaches for that Purell again and slathers it on his hands again as Sam and Dean are like, what the hell is going on here? He asks them why the feds are interested, because there's clearly no case here. And Dean's like, it was just a heart attack. And as soon as they're outside, Dean says, there is no way that was just a heart attack. And Sam is like, clearly that was not a heart attack. They've already worked out that something is probably scaring these people to death because they all go from jittery to terrified to dead within 48 hours. With bizarre scratches on their hands and arms that they have no explanation for. Just as they make a plan to make a list and start crossing things off it of what might be killing these people, Dean stops dead in his tracks and he's like, Hang on, hang on. And Sam's like, What, what? You know something about this case? You've figured something out? And Dean's just like, No, I don't like the looks of those teenagers down there. Dean just literally crosses the street to avoid walking near some teenagers and Sam just stands there looking befuddled like, what the hell? They go visit the last person who had seen Frank O'Brien alive, his neighbor. While they're just sitting there interviewing the neighbor, he's casually got a huge snake draped around his neck. His home is filled with all sorts of other reptiles. Dean is clearly distressed. It's hilarious to know that in real life. Jensen isn't really afraid of reptiles. There's pictures of him holding snakes and stuff when he was visiting uh, a zoo in Australia. Jared, on the other hand, as far as I know, is not a huge fan of snakes. So it's funny in this instance that it's Dean who has to perform terror of these snakes and Sam who is just has to sit there politely and engage in the conversation and totally ignore the reptiles so chalk this one up to acting for both of them (laughs) because that makes the scene extra intense for me the neighbor says that yes he noticed the guy on monday apparently he'd been totally freaking out behaving unnaturally scared and dean asks if you know what scared him And the guy goes on to list a bunch of things that are i guess technically scary the guy starts off by saying witches which sam and dean both think might be significant because maybe they were all cursed into experiencing increasing fear and maybe this was pretty rational to fear but no it turned out he'd been watching the wizard of oz on television the other night and he was convinced that the green woman was taunting him personally Meanwhile, Dean's looking around and seeing alligator in a tank and other creatures in tanks where they literally cannot hurt him, but he's terrified of them anyways. As the neighbor guy lists off a series of other things the guy was afraid of: Al Qaeda, artificial sweetener, ferrets. <laughs> like he said, he was afraid of everything. The dude was afraid of Pez dispensers, apparently. Sam asks what he was like before that. And the neighbor guy is like, well, you know, he's dead now. I don't want to speak ill. But in high school, he was a dick. But he got better. So apparently they were on at least sociably decent terms. He wasn't an out and out dick anymore. At least not to this neighbor guy. Sam and Dean suggest that maybe somebody wanted revenge on him for having been a bully and having been the sort of guy who would take people's butt cheeks together when he was in high school. The guy's like, no, like I said, he got better. He's actively defending this guy now. After his wife died 20 years ago, he was really broken up about it. And he changed his behavior after that. At the end of the scene, Dean is just staring at the snake draped around the guy's neck. He's like, oh, yeah, don't be scared of Donnie. It's Marie you got to worry about. She smells fear. And then this huge python comes snaking its way over Dean's shoulder and down his lap and down his leg. And he just has to sit there and try not to show fear. The guy kind of thinks it's a little bit funny because when someone who is in a position of power gets taken down a peg, that makes the formerly bullied feel really good. (laughs) even if Dean isn't a bully himself. But he has put himself in a position of authority, taking on the identity of a federal agent here, asking questions that demand answers from innocent people. Later that night, Dean is sitting in the Impala reading something and scratching at his arm through his jacket sleeve. Just one of those, I'm not even thinking about it. It's just happening when Sam interrupts by getting in the car. Dean fills salmon on what he learned at the county clerk's office that Frank's wife had vanished back in nineteen eighty eight after going off her meds. Apparently she was bipolar. They found her two weeks later, three towns over, dead from apparent suicide in a motel room. Frank was completely absolved of any responsibility for her death because he was working at the time that she disappeared. While Dean was in the county clerk's office, Sam was investigating Frank's apartment. He found nothing out of the ordinary, no hex bags, no EMF, no sulfur, so they've ruled out demons, witches, and ghosts. But that still doesn't get them any closer to what could have been causing his issues. As they're driving back to their motel, Sam is confused by the fact that Dean is actually going 20 miles an hour, and Dean's reaction being, what, is safety a crime now? yeah, 20 miles an hour is ridiculous. (laughs) I agree with Sam. And then they drive right past their hotel and Sam's like, wait, we just missed our turn. And Dean's like, I'm not turning into oncoming traffic. Do you think I'm suicidal? But no, he goes up another block and makes a U-turn and comes back around to the motel. And even to Dean, that sounds insane. He's like, did I just say that? Did I really say that? You can hear their EMF meter going off this whole time. Sam had neglected to turn it off, and it's raging out of control at Dean right now. And Dean starts freaking out even harder. He's like, am I haunted? Am I haunted? The next morning, Sam is bringing a box of donuts back to their hotel room, except Dean is not there. He's lying across the front seat of the car, playing Eye of the Tiger to psych himself up. Sam pounds on the roof of the car, startling Dean, who clearly really, really jittery. Sam hands him the box of donuts that he was holding. Dean sniffs it and then tosses them away onto the front seat of the car. Like, when has Dean ever not just dove directly into a box of donuts that Sam hands him? And he shows Sam the scratch marks appearing on his arm that he's continuing to scratch. Sam has just gotten off the phone with Bobby and he tells Dean that he's not gonna like what Bobby had to say that it's ghost sickness and Dean's like oh no and then he thinks about it for a second he's like I don't even know what that is Sam describes the symptoms as being first you're anxious then you get scared then you get really scared and then your heart just gives out and Dean's like well we haven't encountered a ghost in weeks how did I get this And Sam's like, it can spread person to person once the first person's infected by the ghost. Sam believes that it probably happened when they were exposed to the victim in the morgue. Frank O'Brien was their first victim. He probably infected the other two guys. He was at a softball tournament over the weekend. The other guys weren't Gamecocks, though. They were corn jerkers. You know that this is affecting Dean because he is not laughing his ass off at corn jerkers here. Two of the guys on the other team were exposed to him and infected with ghost sickness. They're the two that died of heart attacks a few towns over. And Dean's like, okay, well, does this mean that I only have 48 hours to live? And Sam's like, "Uh, no, more like 24. Dean's like, well, how come I got sick and you didn't? You got hit with the spleen juice. And Sam's like... Bobby and I have a theory about that, and apparently all three victims shared a personality type. They were dicks. One was a bully who had obviously reformed, but he had guilt and secrets in his past. One was a vice principal, which is usually the person in a school administration building who's in charge of disciplining the students, at least at every school I've ever attended. And the third victim was a bouncer. His job was to stand there and look threatening. But again, this theory that Sam and Bobby have, we all know is bullshit because even Kripke came right out after this episode aired and he is like, no, 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 no. That is not the takeaway I wanted anyone to have from this episode. Clearly, we needed to have been more emphatic about how we wrote the resolution of this. But without spoiling things that are coming up in the series, this is what I can tell you now. Because that whole argument falls apart. The second Dean turns around and is like, you use fear as a weapon too. We both do the same job. We both scare people just as much. And Sam's like, well, apparently I'm not a dick though. And that's kind of how Sam feels about himself through this whole season. Dean's like, okay, well, we have 24 hours to cure this. What do we do? And Sam says that if they gank the ghost that started the chain of ghost sickness, hopefully it will stop. They're assuming it must be Frank's wife. She's their only lead after she committed suicide 20 years ago. Sam finally gets around to asking Dean why he's waiting outside in the car instead of up in their room. And Dean tells him, cause, uh, our room's on the fourth floor. It's high. So Sam's like, okay, well, I'll try and get us moved down to the first floor. While Sam's trying to change their room, Dean gets back in the car because he doesn't feel comfortable just standing out there exposed and all. He opens the box of donuts he tossed in earlier, gives them a cursory glance, and is too anxious to even consider eating any of them, and puts them back aside again. That's how you know something is totally wrong with Dean. Inside their motel room, we get the scene that becomes our cut scene with additional footage. Of Dean reading through a book all about ghost sickness. He's staring at the clock which is just ticking normally but we see in the cutscene how he's not perceiving it as a normally ticking clock he's perceiving it as a throbbing incessant countdown of his time he has left and he shakes that off and tries to go back to studying what he's supposed to be researching He's looking at some pretty graphic images of a guy like puking up blood and somebody else lying dead and the book's describing ghost sickness as leading to an eventual horrible death and that's when Dean starts coughing. He coughs again and looks down at the book and it says, you're dying again, loser. The book starts shaking with the same effect that they used on the clock ticking in the cutscene. And Dean rubs his eyes, trying to shake off this clear hallucination. But it doesn't help. He looks back at the book, and it's still saying, You gonna cry? Baby gonna cry? And he rubs his eyes again, and he's like, No, no, no. And he looks up at the clock, and the ticking is growing louder. And it cuts to black on one of the ticks that sounds more like a crunch. And then Sam comes back to find the clock smashed on the floor dean's just sitting on the sofa with his feet up drinking a beer trying to convince himself that everything is just fine as he continues to scratch at his arms sam discovered that frank's wife had been cremated so he's pretty sure she's not their ghost sam asks how he's doing and he's like fine i guess Head is on the chopping block again. I'd almost forgotten what that feels like. Because, you know, he spent all of season three knowing what that feels like. So he's very intimate with that feeling. At that point, Dean starts coughing so hard he actually has to stand up. He goes over to the sink and he coughs up a little chunk of wood. Sam's like, we've been ignoring the biggest clue we have, you. And Dean's like, I don't want to be a clue. And I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to be a clue in this way either. But this might lead them to wherever the ghost is. Sam points out that the disease itself is trying to tell them something. And Dean's like, what, wood chips? And Sam's like, exactly. The lumber mill where Frank's wife had worked. Dean very cautiously pulls up to the lumber mill, eyeing it like it's the scariest haunted house he's ever seen in his life. And he's like, I'm not going in there. And Sam's like, I need backup and you're all I've got. Dean takes a fortifying gulp of whiskey, pockets the bottle. Sam starts arming himself, tries to hand Dean his usual gun, and Dean's like, Well, I'm not taking that. It could go off. And Sam looks at him like, Dude, you've been doing this your whole life. Come on, Dean. But Dean just reaches in and grabs a flashlight. Oh man, the flashlight. And he looks so proud of himself for this. It is really probably best not to give the super jumpy guy a gun in this circumstance. I don't know that I'd want him behind me with a loaded weapon. As they're exploring the main room of this lumber mill, the EMF meter in his pocket starts going off again. Dean's like, the EMF's not going to work with me around, is it? And Sam puts it away. Dean startles when Sam bends down to pick up something off the floor. Frank's wedding band. It says, to Frank, love Jesse. What's it doing there? They have no idea why Frank had even gone there. They find a locker room, and one of them is making some rattling noises. They approach it cautiously. Sam opens the door, and a cat jumps out, and Dean screams, like it's the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to him. (laughs) Like, over-the-top screaming, and yes, the gag reel scene footage of this is perfection. He just keeps screaming and jumping around and it just goes on and on and on because he was given a little note saying Dean completely overreacts screaming. But they only end up using a small amount of it here, which is more than enough to make Dean look ridiculous, gasping, that was scary. They eventually come to an office where they find an identification badge for someone named Luther Garland along with a really nice charcoal drawing of Frank's wife. As soon as Dean picks up the drawing, there's a huge loud mechanical noise and the lumber mill equipment turns itself on. With his trusty flashlight, Dean spots a man standing with his back to the room and he's just too wide-eyed and terrified to even warn Sam verbally. Sam just turns and notices Dean's staring and turns around to see this dude standing in the corner and dean has just taken off running out of the building sam fires a shotgun shell and he's dissipated by the salt so it was definitely a ghost we find dean outside cowering behind the impala guzzling what remains of his whiskey and sam comes running out a moment later clutching luther garland's identification badge saying yep i guess we got the right place They get dressed back up in their fed suits and go back to the sheriff's office to find out anything they can about Luther Garland. Linus, the deputy, is there again, being very helpful, hands them over everything he has, and he peers around Sam at the counter, and Dean's just standing across the room, looking really agitated and kind of swaying, asks, is he drunk? And Sam's just like, no, and then goes back to asking questions about Luther Garland. He definitely looks drunk, but it's also just fear. But he looks odd enough that even another woman in the waiting room is just kind of staring at him. Like, what is wrong with this guy? Dean just gives the deputy a thumbs up and a little wink. And the deputy's like, okay, well, if he's not drunk, then is he flirting? And that's sort of the takeaway and the impression that you're left with. When Linus doesn't have any answers for them about Luther Garland because he died 20 years ago and that's way before his time in the sheriff's department, they ask to speak to the sheriff and he's apparently out sick today. Sam's like, okay, well, if he calls in or has any information for us about it, tell him where we're staying. Sam leaves and Dean is still just standing there fidgeting awkwardly and he points at the deputy and says, you know what? You're awesome. And the deputy takes this as sincere flattery because Sam had just said, no, the guy's not drunk. This is just how he is. And he believed it. And he takes this as like a sincere compliment and flirts back with, uh, yeah, you too. A genuine smile on his face. And I love that about this scene that Sam has to come back in and collect Dean, who's looking like the awkwardest little bean wiping his hand on his trousers and I don't know if he was aiming for his pocket and missed and is trying to act casual about it or if he's just that nervous that his palms are sweating but either way it's like the perfect scene of Dean saying these things because he is yes kind of drunk but also there's nothing holding him back and there's just wild horses painted on the wall behind the deputy and Dean is getting dragged away from that. There's your cowboy imagery, wild horses, the deputy who Dean thinks is awesome and say I'm dragging Dean out of there. It often gets referenced in compilation posts of queer moments for Dean Winchester because it is. And I mentioned last week that I wrote fic about what happened to Jamie in the aftermath of her having been involved in a supernatural case and then eventually finding the supernatural books and reading about herself and putting two and two together and realizing this whole world is so much bigger. Well, Deputy Linus here is another character that I uh, put together in that story as someone who didn't even realize his life was being touched by the supernatural until he picked up one of those books and read all about himself. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Back to the episode. As soon as Sam and Dean leave, though, over the intercom, the sheriff asks who that was. Linus tells him it was the FBI guys asking for the file on Luther Garland. And then we cut into the sheriff's office because he's not out sick. And he's rubbing away at his own forearms with steel wool, just making a bloody mess of himself. Nothing strong enough to outdamn spot this damn spot. And you can hear little hallucinatory voices. They know. They know. They have Luther Garland's file. They must know what he did. He's going to be exposed. He picks up his gun and is ready to start shooting at shadows. So, again... Good thing Dean didn't have a gun in that lumber mill, cause who knows what he would have shot. But the sheriff sees his own reflection in one of his softball trophies, saying, I know what you did, I'm going to make sure you pay, something along those lines. Meanwhile, Sam and Dean are still trying to figure out what happened to Luther Garland, and they find his brother living at Peaceful Pines Assisted Living. Dean is startled by everything, including a little old woman walking with an IV pole He's scrutinizing his fake fed badge and he's like, come on, this is not going to work. These badges are fake. What if somebody realizes it and catches us? And it's like, Sam, you're a moron for having brought Dean along on this. You could have cleared this up so much more easily without him. And I get that you're trying to keep an eye on him at the same time. You're trying to figure out what's wrong with him and make sure he doesn't go completely off the rails. But it's like herding cats at this point. Dean is terrified of everything, and he's going to give himself away through his own fear of something that is literally second nature to him, and he doesn't normally even have to think about to put on these acts. The first thing Mr. Garland asks them is to see some ID. Dean gives Sam a look like, I told you, we're going to be found out. We're going to go to jail. As Garland's looking over their badges, he gives Dean a critical look, and Dean's like, oh, those are real. And Sam clears his throat, like, shut up, Dean. And Dean's like, yeah, who would pretend to be the FBI? That's just silly. And Sam stomps on his foot to shut him up. And Dean's like, why am I saying this? I'm making this worse. He can't stop himself. Garland goes on to describe his brother, and we see flashbacks of him working at the lumber mill. And apparently, other people were afraid of him because he was just a big, scary looking guy didn't matter that he was the kindest man we get a shot of him caring for a tiny kitten but people were scared of him because of how he looked and the fact that he was a little bit different luther's brother blames himself at least a little bit because he didn't do anything more to protect him he had his own problems he didn't think that there was anything he could really do to help luther sam hands over the drawing of jesse and it's like do you recognize this woman And he does, he recognizes it as Jesse O'Brien. Luther's brother starts by saying that everybody in town knew that Frank was the one who killed Luther, except nobody wants to talk about it. We see in flashback that Jesse was a receptionist at the mill. She was kind to Luther. He had a little crush on her, but Frank didn't like it. So when Jesse went missing, Frank was positive that it was because Luther had done something to her. They found Luther with a chain wrapped around his neck, having been road hauled up and down the road in front of the mill. The police refused to look into Frank, and we know because the sheriff was his friend and helped him cover up this crime that he knew about. Frank was a pillar of the community. Luther was the town freak. Nobody cared. Shortly after this, Frank found out that his wife had voluntarily left and killed herself. So the devastation, the heartbreak, his own fear, his own concern for his wife, it doesn't excuse what Frank did, but it explains why people were willing to help him cover it up. Sam asks if he hated Frank O'Brien because of that, and Mr. Carlin's like, yeah, for a long time, but life's too short for that. Frank wasn't thinking straight. He eventually was able to see it from Frank's point of view. He wasn't thinking straight. He was terrified for his wife's safety, and fear drove him to do that. It's a shame he had to put Luther through the same thing, but what he tells Sam is, that's fear. It spreads and spreads, and yep, isn't that just what ghost sickness is? I'll take a brief moment to apologize here that, yes, it is the 4th of July as I'm recording this, and apparently a ridiculous number of people are shooting off fireworks. <laughs> That's what I get for recording at night. Anyway, back to Luther Garland and fear. He was never afraid until he died this way. while well, he was just inflicting the fear back onto Frank O'Brien, who had given it to him in the first place. Almost like he was returning the ghost sickness to its origin. Like Frank O'Brien was really the original source of this fear. As they're leaving the assisted living facility, Dean's like, well, that explains what all these wounds on my arms are. It's road rash. And he probably swallowed some wood chips as he was getting dragged up and down that road too. And Sam's like, yeah, you're just experiencing his death in slow motion. And Dean's like, well, at least we know how to stop us. We just go burn his bones and easy peasy. We're done. I'm cured. And Sam's like, uh, I don't know if it's going to be that easy. And Dean's like, of course it's going to be that easy. It has to be that easy. I can't I can't go on like this. And Sam's like, he was road hauled. There's bits of him all up and down that road. There's no way we can salt and burn that. And I'm thinking, geez, Sam, why not? Why not just douse the road in gasoline, sprinkle salt all down it, and just set the whole damn road on fire? Why wouldn't that work? But apparently that would have been too easy of a solution. And Sam's just like, we'll have to figure something else out. And I'm like, dude, I just gave you a plan. And Dean's just like, well, no, 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 no. I'm done. I am out. Forget it. And then he starts on his very famous tantrum of fear and frustration with their lives. Dean's like, what are we doing? Sam's just like, we're hunting a ghost. That's what we do. Right. Who does that? That's exactly why our lives suck. You know who does this? Crazy people. The entire rant is just so beautiful. If you're just listening along to this podcast and you're just like, oh, Mittens will tell me everything that happens in the episode. No, I honestly cannot recap this in a way that is as satisfying as just watching Jensen Ackles perform Dean, throwing the keys to Sam and just like, I'm out. Goodbye. So I'm going to instruct everybody at this point to stop this podcast go watch this like 2 minute scene and then resume the podcast because it is so worth it. And so Sam is left holding the keys and having no idea where Dean's wandered off to. And that's where we come back to the scene from the cold open of this episode. Where Dean is just walking away and all of a sudden he hears something patter up behind him and growl. And it's the yorkie with the little pink bow and Dean is terrified. He can't run away from any of his problems. He can't run away from the hellhounds or the apocalypse or the ghost sickness and the monsters. None of it, because it's always going to be right there, even when it's not. It's always in his mind. In the next scene, we find Dean sitting back in the motel room, panting and sweating, out of his mind, terrified. Sam finally comes in and he's like, I looked everywhere for you, Dean. How'd you get here? And Dean's like, I ran. We quickly understand that whatever Dean is seeing about Sam's presence in this room is a complete hallucination. Is Sam really there? I don't know. But Dean is seeing Sam and he's like, what are we going to do? There's less than four hours on the clock for me. I'm going to die. And Sam's just like, yep, you are. You're going to go back downstairs, back to hell. And Dean is starting to realize something is seriously wrong. We see the same effect that we saw in the book earlier and when the sheriff was having his hallucinations of everything sort of going out a little out of focus and shaking. As Sam says, yeah, you've been a real pain in my ass. It's about time you're going back to hell where you belong. He looks at Dean and he's got yellow eyed demon eyes dean tries to attack him and sam just holds up a hand and dean goes flying back against the wall this is something that dean is legitimately terrified of happening of sam and his demon powers doing something like this of it destroying who sam is as a person and at first dean is like yeah you get out of my brother you freak thinking he's talking to the yellow eyed demon. And Sam's like, oh, no, I'm not possessed. This is just who I am. This is who I'm becoming. And that is what Dean is afraid of. Sam comes over and has Dean pinned to the wall and reaches up and starts choking him as we see Sam's eyes go completely yellow again. And then it shifts. And we see that it was all just Dean's hallucination. And real Sam is really there now trying to snap dean out of this yes he has his hand on dean's shoulder and chest but it's more like a wake up dean snap out of it join us back here in reality not actively trying to kill him with malice the next scene we get is after dawn sam has finally given up the attempt to keep dean nearby and he's left him in the motel room and met up with bobby But thank goodness they didn't bring Dean along for this because while Dean probably could have just sat in the Impala and looked sad and terrified, I don't know if Sam could have coped with whatever reactions Dean was having. When Sam tells Bobby that Dean's, quote, homesick, we flash back to the motel where he's scratching at his arms and watching old Gumby cartoons where Pokey the horse gets lassoed and dragged out of a bar. Yelling, help me! Back at the lumber mill, Bobby asks if Dean's hallucinations have started, and Sam's like, yeah, a few hours ago. Bobby then asks how much time they've got left, and Sam's like, we've got a little under two hours left to go. Sam asks Bobby if he's got any potential solutions to the problem, and Bobby presents Sam with an ancient Japanese text, and it's all in Japanese, and he's like, you speak Japanese, and Bobby speaks Japanese. Sam's like, okay, I guess so. Which was thrown in because Jim Beaver thought it might be fun because he actually speaks Japanese. Sam explains that they can't just burn the bones here. Bobby's like, well, it is a ghost of fear and the lore says that it's basically made of fear. So the only way to get rid of it is to fight it with fear. Sam comes up with a plan though. He first calls Dean to let him know everything's going to be fine. Just ride out the trip. We got a plan. And Dean's like, what is it? And Sam just pushes it off saying, don't worry, we're we're just going to take care of it. And poor Dean is so far beyond feeling any sort of encouragement at this point. But it was a nice gesture on Sam's part and also gives us the lovely comedy beat of after he disconnects with Dean, Bobby saying to Sam, this is a terrible plan. And we're all like, yep, yep, this is a terrible plan. Even Bobby's like, I know I said scare the ghost to death, but this is horrific what we're about to do. And Sam's like, yeah, but if you've got a better plan, I'm listening. And clearly Bobby doesn't. So this is what they're left with. And again, I say, why didn't you just salt and pour gasoline down that entire road and just strike a match? It would have been better than this. Sam walks into the lumber mill to effectively reenact Luther's murder. Back at the motel, Dean can't take it anymore. He's now hearing hellhounds clawing at his door. He feels like he is going to be dragged back to hell. His death, as he experienced it last time, running in fear from hallucinations and visions as the hellhounds closed in on him, he's getting that now, but with none of the satisfaction that it was for any sort of reason. Eventually, his door comes down, but on the other side, wasn't a hellhound. It was the sheriff who comes staggering in, accusing Dean, ready to attack and kill him to save himself. And Dean's like, no, 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 man, it's it's not true. And Dean's doing his very best to talk the sheriff down. Dean's like, you're sick. You're sick like me. He sees the bloody marks on the sheriff's sleeves and understands that he's got the ghost sickness too. He's ready to shoot Dean to stop him from ruining his life, supposedly. And Dean just, out of fear, swats the gun away from him. The sheriff continues to attack Dean, pins him up against the wall, starts punching on him. Dean's just trying to pry him off. But as Dean looks up at the guy, he sees black in his eyes like a like he's a demon. And that gives Dean the strength to fight him off in earnest. He flings the sheriff across the room. And then Dean watches in horror as the guy has his final moments, dying of fear. And now Dean is even more terrified. Back at the lumber mill, Sam is desperately trying to find Luther, talking over the radio to Bobby and tells him like last time they found him, it was like he was scared. Sam looks at the gun in his hands and is like, we don't want him scared. We need him angry so he'll come out and attack us again. So he sets the gun down very carefully and deliberately and walks over to Luther's drawings and starts tearing them up. And all the machinery in the factory kicks back to life again. Luther's ghost is angry now. Sam is destroying his things. Sam turns around and, uh, oops, there's Luther directly behind him. Way bigger than Sam is. And starts attacking Sam. Back in the motel room. Dean has taken the bedspread off one of the beds and used it to cover the sheriff's body so he doesn't have to sit there and look at the dead sheriff while he's sitting there in abject terror, waiting for his own life to end in the exact same sad way. He's hallucinating big time. He's scratch marks on his arms go now all the way down to his wrists, and he can't stop scratching. And he's hearing Sam's voice tell him, you're about to go back to hell. It's about time, too. And then an evil laugh in Sam's voice. And he hears the barking of hellhounds again. He sees the motel Bible on the floor by his feet and picks it up and clings to it desperately. It didn't bother me when I first watched this episode, but it kind of bothered me in retrospect that Dean would not have at least mentioned the whole cast thing. Like, an angel saved me from hell. But, you know, even at that point, he wasn't friendly enough with this angel to assume that the angels would pull him back out if he ended up there again. He wasn't even convinced in his own mission from God if this was already about ready to kill him again and nobody was apparently coming to his rescue, plus the fear talking. He didn't really have that sort of a relationship with Cass, but even in the tiny way that he already believed in this mission that he told Jamie about last week, you'd think that maybe he might even risk a call out to the angel who pulled him from hell once. Can you cure this? But of course, they did not want the angels to become instant fixers of any problem, so they could not give Dean the instinct to pray to Cass. And it works so well over the long haul as character growth. Anyway, I got a little distracted there. Sorry, it's hard to watch Dean experiencing this much fear and trauma. But as he's clutching the Bible, a horror from his past pops up. Lilith, the little girl version, not the last version that he saw of her in the moments before his death. Dean only saw her from a distance, from through the windows, because by the time they got in the house... He had to tell sam the demon's not in the little girl anymore so to him this isn't even a version of lilith that he would have seen up close with his own two eyes which makes it all the more shocking that it's the vision that he has based in his own fear but what she says is rather chilling i missed you so much so this is clearly something that was used to torment dean and hell If it wasn't actually Lilith actively participating in it, possibly, it's something that Dean was tortured with because he is clearly distressed by her, clearly generating this from his own mind, telling this hallucination, you are not real, because to him, it reflects something from his personal reality. Lilith missed him because she was part of his torture in hell. Lilith confronts him with the fact that he remembers all the quote fun he had down there in hell you remember everything you did down there right this is also when we the audience learn that four months is like 40 years in hell at least it was for Dean I don't think that's what it's like in all of hell I just think that was Dean's personal experience for reasons that I have stated before and reasons that I will state again at some point when we discuss this in more depth, but that's not in this episode. Right now, we're just getting broad strokes here and Dean feels his heart giving out. Dean is still trying to convince himself that she is not real and she takes him by the face and her eyes roll back to white and she's like, it doesn't matter. You're still gonna die. You're still gonna burn. Dean looks at her and is like why was I infected and Lilith looks down at him and remember she's just a projection of his subconscious and she's like you know why silly just listen to your heart ba-boom 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 and at first Dean pretends ignorance he knows deep down why he was infected he knows he's keeping this horrific secret of what he experienced in hell and what he did in hell It's not just about using fear as a weapon. It's not just about being a bully or even being a torturer. It's the fact that he's trying to hide this dark, dirty secret, even from himself. He's trying to pretend that it didn't happen and that he can just go back to life and that he can just be a normal person after that. He can't just run away from his life as it stands. This is the story, dragging him back in yet again. Meanwhile, back at the lumber mill, Sam is desperately losing his fight with Luther. Luther keeps dragging him back every time Sam tries to crawl away and grab the chain. It flashes back and forth between the motel room where Lilith is babooming Dean into a corner and Sam is being pounded into the dirt here by Luther until Sam finally reaches down and grabs the chain, wraps it around luther's neck and yells out for bobby to punch it bobby drives the impala dragging the chain and luther as well as dean lies on the floor about ready to die we see luther terrified at the end of the chain as he slowly disappears into the road dean chokes back to life and all the wounds on his arms are gone now that they've saved the day dean finally meets back up with sam and bobby Dean's just like so you guys road hauled a ghost even though both of them thought it was insane and their absolute last ditch when they went for it. Sam confirms that they did that because it was what the ghost was most afraid of. It's the only thing that could have worked but it was brutal and Dean's like well on the upside I'm still alive so go team and then Sam starts to dig a little bit. He's like are you okay after going through that? Dean's like I'm fine. Bobby's like, are you sure about that? Because this line of work can get awful scary. I guess Sam told Bobby all about Dean's little breakdown about hunting and how he's done and only crazy people would do this. And they all have a laugh at Dean's expense. And he's like, I'll hunt. I'll hunt anything. Meanwhile, Dean is just grumpily consuming his beer and ignoring their laughter because... Yeah, that doesn't even begin to touch the surface of what actually scared Dean in this episode. We, the audience, though, now have a tiny clue about what it might involve. Forty years in hell and the fun Dean must have had down there. Bobby takes off to go home and Sam turns to Dean's like, so what did you see near the end there? And Dean looks up at Sam and in a blink you'd miss it moment, Dean sees Sam's eyes flash yellow again and he looks away like oh shit yeah right that tries to not process that as much as he can because yes that is an ongoing fear of his that wasn't something his brain dredged up out of nowhere he's been terrified about what might be wrong with Sam since John set him on that mission in season one and definitely by season two with the if you can't save him you're gonna have to kill him. He's still terrified that he might have to kill Sam, that Sam might go dark side, that none of that was fixed by his self-sacrifice. But he pushes it down and continues to lie. He jokes. He saw a room full of howler monkeys. You probably got the howler monkey screaming in your brain feeling, thinking about everything that you actually saw. But meanwhile, Dean is still keeping all of his experiences of hell under wraps He doesn't ever want to have to tell Sam. Everything he's ever sacrificed has been for nothing. He's still got to either save Sam somehow from himself now, knowing what Azazel did to his brother when he was six months old. This demon blood is in him and it's terrifying Sam even. Sam doesn't feel normal. And he's using these demonic powers to do things that terrify Dean. And apparently upset the angels who are like, take care of your brother or we we will. Dean believes that. They could absolutely take care of Sam if they wanted to. Sam's like, yeah, right, howler monkeys. And Dean's just like, nope, just the usual stuff. Nothing I couldn't handle. But we know that there is something much deeper going on with Dean. And Sam is going to start poking at him to try and unearth what that is. And nothing in their circumstances is going to make that any easier. For example, starting in the next episode, Sam will get word from an actual angel, just like Dean got word about Sam that there's something wrong and he needs to stop it. Sam is going to get word from another angel trying to stir shit up, telling him, ask your brother what he remembers about hell. Because all along, Dean's been insisting he doesn't remember, it's just a blank spot, nothing terrible happened. He doesn't suffer any consequences from it while silently suffering all sorts of consequences all season long. So Dean lives with this low level current of fear driving him in much the same way that throughout the series, Sam rides along on this low level current of rage that motivates him and has for most of his life as he recognizes it. And for Dean, for that fear to actually turn into anger, for Dean to lash out in anger, it takes a lot to wear down everything he's learned throughout his life to suppress the fear, to suppress the reactionary anger that erupts out of him in response to that fear when he can't take any more. Mostly, he's able to keep himself upright and moving forward. And it's just astounding to me, the weight that this man carries on him. He really deserved to have that lifted off of him at the end of the series, no? Sam, too. I mean, honestly, he deserved to live a life of of peace and contentment and to be able to lay down all of this fear, all of this anger, and just be. But no. Anyway... Tune in next week when we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 7. It's the Great Pumpkin, Sam Winchester. We get the series one and only Halloween episode. Shocker, that show called Supernatural only ever ended up with one true Halloween episode. Oh well. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at George or at MittensMorgul. You can find me on Discord at Mittens, hashtag 4865. Or you can email me at mittensmorgul at gmail.com. And I can't wait to talk to everyone again real soon. Finally, I have had a mostly normal week. I'm still behind on some stuff, and my brain seems to be working a little bit better, and I'm mostly coherent again, but it's been a trial. And it's just terrifying to me how many people are just walking around without masks on and Knowing that I never even had a single symptom that would have been associated with COVID in most people's minds. I didn't have a cough. I didn't have any other flu symptoms to speak of. I had like one day where I had really bad sinus pain and that was it. It's just a fluke that I convinced myself to take the test. I never had a fever. I had a little headache, but it wasn't like the worst headache or anything. It was just a headache and it was just exhaustion. And I figured that was because, well, I drove for 19 hours the day before. I figured that's why I was tired. (laughs) Apparently not. So anyway, just be careful and look out for yourselves. And just know that this thing is just not over. And (laughs) it doesn't look like what you think it would anymore. So kind of scary. Anyway, have a good one, everyone.